I'm Sangeeta Pillai and this is the Masala Podcast, a Spotify original where we talk about all those things that we're not supposed to talk about as South Asian women. Sex, sexuality, periods, menopause, mental health, nipple hair, shame and many more taboos. The entire existence of women to serve the patriarchal society. It's time we heard the voices of real South Asian women, not just those we see in Bollywood or in mainstream Western media. It's time we had a real voice, a loud and proud and strong voice. So you also are responsible to uphold, to carry the honor and shame at the same time. I've invited some incredible women to join me around my virtual kitchen table and put the world to rights. In this episode of Masala Podcast, I speak with Lisa Ghazi, who is a British-Bangladeshi writer, actor, playwright and film director, whose work is all about presenting powerful female stories. We talk about Lisa's documentary film, Rising Silence which has won multiple awards all over the world. Rising Silence is about the survivors of rape and sexual violence during the Bangladesh Liberation War in 1971. The Bangladeshi government estimates that between 200,000 and 400,000 women and girls were systematically raped by Pakistani troops. When Lisa was a child growing up in Bangladesh, her father would often talk in hushed tones about the women called Birangana, meaning brave women. Her film Rising Silence is about the strength of these women who've survived unspeakable physical and emotional abuse. It's about their will to survive, their courage, their incredible spirit. Lisa and her film crew stayed for several days with each of the women featured in her film before she began to record their interviews. She saw for herself their resilience, their bravery, and above all, their tremendous sense of love. Lisa hopes that her film, Rising Silence, will amplify the voices that were forced into silence with decades of shame, stigma, and prejudice. She hopes that the world will see ordinary South Asian women in a totally different light. Speaking with Lisa, sitting across my kitchen table, hearing her talk about the courage and the compassion of the Birangana women was one of the most moving and inspiring experiences of my life. Please note that this episode contains descriptions of rape and sexual violence that some people may find disturbing. So Lisa, let's start by um, telling me about where you grew up. Where did you grow up? Tell me about your life. Uh, I grew up in Bangladesh uh, because of uh, the nature of my father's job. Um, we ended up living in different cities of Bangladesh. And I feel very fortunate. I feel, uh, I, I feel very grateful for that. So what was life like for Lisa aged seven? Age seven was was actually quite traumatic. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. In terms of um, politics of yeah. Bangladesh, it was right after the 
assassination of the founder of the nation. And I remember a few things very strongly, very vividly, uh, and few things are quite blurred. I said traumatic in the sense that I have seen what my father went through at the time. He was a freedom fighter. And after um, the founder of the nation was assassinated with all, most of his family members, the political climate was very fearful. You know, freedom fighters used to be ridiculed, harassed, even killed. And there was an attempt, um, very um, vigorous, uh, very vicious attempt to erase the history of Liberation War. I was a child, don't get me wrong, we had our fun, but at the same time, I have also seen my father hiding his best friends from the army. I have, I have seen two bloody military coups when I was growing up. So when you have a, a time when it should be an innocent childhood, sometimes it's not. It's you not, know, and, and it, it's, it's quite interesting and quite, quite fascinating when I look back thinking that a child with all her kind of innocence and, and playfulness and everything, at the same time, she doesn't realize it. She doesn't realize something really, really horrific is happening. Something really tragic is happening. Uh, but but don't get the sense of it entirely. Don't understand it quite entirely. Yeah. You always feel fearful for your family. And at the same time, you, you know that what your father had done for his country was something to be proud of. So that was quite quite an enigma to me. So the seeds of the work you do, particularly with um, where the film yes. comes from, started there, I think. Because I remember <laughs> reading um, an article where you mentioned about your father telling you about, is it Birongana? Birangona. Birangona. Could you translate what that means? Birangona is a Bengali uh, word. Uh, it literally means brave woman, war heroines. Bangladesh, I think that it is still uh, unprecedented. The Bangladesh recognized these women, um, you know, who had gone through unimaginable sufferings of sexual violence and, and, and rape. And this honorific title, Birangona, uh, was granted to them only six days after the war ended. So war ended um, on the 16th of December, and they were given this uh, honorific uh, title on the 22nd of December. Uh, and, and, and this is still unprecedented. So for people who don't know, could you tell us about what this war was and what happened to these women? This is a liberation war of Bangladesh. Uh, in 1947, uh, when British left India subcontinent, it was divided by two countries then, India and Pakistan. And it was divided on the basis of religion. You know, East Pakistan Bengalis are mostly Muslims. Uh, so they were kind of thrown into um, with the Pakistanis and Pakistan. Although we have, we shared, most of us shared the same religion at the time, but our culture, uh, the way we look at things, our, our language was different. And so in 1948, actually, right after the, the division of, of these two countries, protest and demonstration was happening because it was, it was said that 
you know urdu will be the official state language of pakistan of pakistan, of pakistan. although 56% of the population uh, spoke bengali so there was uh, there was you know mass demonstration and then in 1952 a huge demonstration took place when it was said that urdu only urdu will be the state language and and students um gave their lives um uh, on the 21st of february which is now Inter- international mothers language day and that is from that legacy so in, in 1952 on the f- 21st of february you know students and protesters were killed in in streets and then we saw mass uprising against the oppression of west pakistan then in 1970 general election took place where our you know founder of the nation bangabandhu sheikh mujibur rahman he won um it was a landslide victory but the power was not given to him so that was the kind of you know political uh, background yes um so seven, uh, on the 25th of march night operation you know searchlight took place where uh, people of all walks of lives were gunned down by the pakistani army and then uh, the liberation uh, war began on the 25th march night and then yeah followed next 9 months i've always found it really shocking that at times of war when there's conflict mm-hmm. women are somehow used as as weapons almost and in some way some of the things i read thanks to your film and then i went and read a few things the kind of um treatment of women and and the rapes the horrific rapes were very much a legacy of that war weren't they the liberation war of bangladesh is one of the first recorded cases of rape used uh, as a weapon of war in the 20th century but it is everywhere i mean wherever armed conflicts took place women and children are targeted and this has become normal you know that women and girls will be will be raped and it's still going on but this cannot go on anymore absolutely cannot go on anymore uh, why these things happening it is very simple to understand why because women are responsible to carry the burden of honor of a family in particularly in, particu- in south asian in, culture i think in south asian culture in any patriarchal society mm, yeah. anywhere and the shame is inflicted upon women for failing to carry out that burden women are seen as as men property custodians of men's pride so when you fail to carry out that that burden and that set pride you are also held responsible for not delivering that honor whatever that means it is quite simple you know that it comes from so many aspects of life and it is ingrained in our in our patriarchal society in our mindset that even women living in that society do not question it because it's been hundreds and it's, hundreds it's, and hundreds of years it's yeah, been it's kind been of happening uh, we you do not know anything better you do not know anything because you know when you are seen as property of men then you do not ask consent you do not ask do you ask your chair whether i should take this chair to this room to that room 
you do not ask your chair that because it's your property it doesn't have any voice you do not recognize acknowledge voice it's there to serve you the entire existence of women to serve the patriarchal society so you also are responsible to uphold to carry the honor and shame at the same time for your family for your father for your community even for your country so there's no ambiguity there's no ambiguity no shame no disregard for targeting women and girls in war time or in peace across the world because if you want to dishonor a family you go after their daughters if you want to humiliate control dishonor shame and rule over a race a nation a community a home you go after their daughters and this has been like this since the since time immemorial i think could you tell me about how the idea for the film mm-hmm. came to you mm-hmm. and the process of how it began for you um uh, i heard about the birangana women when i was about 17 years old and when i first came to know about these women i wanted to meet them i wanted to see but i couldn't see them anywhere you know and when you think about this number 200 to 400,000 women and girls were systematically raped and tortured where are these women i don't see them and i tried to imagine their faces but no face appeared in my mind i was desperate to see them but i couldn't find them anywhere and then in 2010 i finally got to meet them 21 of them and as soon as i as i looked at them it felt real you know it felt that it could have been anyone it could have been my mother and i know for a fact that so many women especially women from well to do families women from families who are able to eat three times a day they wouldn't talk about it because they had more to lose and when i saw these women uh, in 2010 and when they were talking about their experiences i was crying you know but they were breaking down only when they were talking about their families so you can see i'm so sorry i get no, no, <laughs> please please this is it's quite fine. emotional it's uh, fine. they can they can talk about what happened to them quite wow. boldly but every time they broke down when something happened to their families to their children or parents or husband or any loved ones that was astonishing to me and they were looking out for us and they were giving us comfort it is quite disturbing <laughs> that they were giving us comfort so they were comforting you yes, instead of the in, other way yeah. around and that that compassion and that understanding i wouldn't expect from them because we didn't give it to them the entire nation didn't give them the due respect which they deserved so much 
tell me a little bit about your experience of staying with the women. Initially, I wanted to know them. I wanted to have a face. I wanted to know who they are as a person. Because rape doesn't divine them. They had horrific experience. They had gone through unimaginable torture and sufferings. Absolutely. But that's not them. That's why, you know, in my film, I wanted to capture who they are. And you see them laughing. You see them cooking. You see them singing song. Um, you know, singing out loud. You see them making jokes. And that is the strength that people are used to see these women as victims. Used to see these women in distress. They're crying. People are not used to see them asking questions. When a Birangana woman in my film asked that, my game will not be over until my name is in the history. I want to see my name. To be able to see, say that and question that, but at the same time, you know, building families, building life from the ashes. Can you imagine the strength and resilience and courage and determination that, yes, this happened to me, but uh, this is not me. I'm more than that. So we, we stayed with them. There are nine women in the film. We stayed with them for four or five days with each of them and, uh, and, then, and then see their lives in their own settings, in their own, own uh, environment. And that helped us to know them better. We were kind of filming in a field and we, I was talking to one survivor and she was casually talking to me and suddenly she said, can you see they're coming? You can't see them, but I can. I cannot tell you that even living with the ghost of the past, they are living with it every single day. But they are, you know, they are nurturing children. They're, they are there for them. They are there for their families, their communities. But they are living with that. And if you think about it, how did they cope? Because there was no question of counseling. <laughs> All uh, these things we yeah, take for granted. No, never. They never uh, received any counseling. I find it incredible that you went on this journey to talk to these women, to tell their stories, which you have done, and you've come back and that's kind of transformed you in so many ways that you perhaps didn't even... But it had to happen. Yes, don't it you did. Think? Now, when you look at it, it's like, <laughs> it of course, to, it yeah, seemed, it yeah, but happen. of course it had to happen. Yeah. But I think that's really profound, I think, and really, really moving. Tell me why the film's called Rising Silence, because I know there's something behind that. Uh, yes. Um, we know that uh, these women were, you know, after 1975, when these women were were tucked away, were, were hidden, kept silent, were hidden, shunned, ostracized, and almost forgotten, then when when uh, we started working on Birangana women, and there are so many 
in in Bangladesh, other other you know plays or short stories accounts have been written about Birangana women, about these women, and also uh, also outside Bangladesh. Uh, there are academics who have been, you know, working uh, on, on this issue and uh, collecting their stories. So I've been told that this kind of work will help break the silence. And I, I, I myself used to feel quite pleased about it. You know, this I'm helping, my work is helping breaking the silence. No. They, they always had a plenty to say. They were not silent. No, they had, a, they had always, yeah, they had so much to say. We are the one who didn't listen. We are the one who made sure that silence prevails. Because it's too uncomfortable for us to hear. Yeah, isn't for it? us to hear. For it's too shameful. It's too whatever. They have a towering voices, all of them, you know. So to feel that that what is that? You know, feel good about ourselves that oh we are helping them breaking the silence no thank you very much we actually we actually did not create a safe space where they can talk and for not doing that for not doing what we were supposed to do the silence you know the silence became so deafening that there's no other option but to listen to them. And that is the rising silence. The silence we, everyday people, created. Wow. Does it make any sense? It does. It does. It absolutely does. Tell me a little bit more about the women. What... what are you in touch with them? Do you know what's going on in their lives? Yes, yes, uh, I'm. I'm. I'm in touch with all of them, but uh, there there are nine women in my film, in our film. Uh, but five of them died during the post production stage of the film. But for research purpose, I have met some 80 plus women and and I have in touch with most of them um, many of them also died they're dying out and uh, and with them so are their stories that is actually, that was actually another reason for me to get so desperate to get this film done before they, they're all gone. Um, as a more permanent record, because as I told you before, that we don't have documentation 
we don't have much documentation they were all they were most of it was uh, destroyed so that was that was my single vision to safeguard a few of at least a few of their stories so they have and their children maybe have something to go to absolutely and, and for us and for us to see and for us because because you know i feel that they are my legacy i feel that if if i do not if i didn't know them i i wouldn't know what i'm capable of as a woman i didn't know what you know human capacity can do and i i i didn't know that people can have so much compassion and unconditional love even after suffering unimaginable torture i did i wouldn't know that so in the process i actually find myself i meaning women of bangladesh because because i truly believe that if a people of bangladesh women of bangladesh know the history of these women know their stories they will look at life differently they will be more compassionate they will have, they will have more space for others um uh, so they're absolutely um my legacy and it's not only my legacy it's 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 also a story of bangladesh because what birangana women had gone through during and since 1971 the war bangladesh had gone through the same thing betrayal genocide rape bangladesh has gone all of it so i mean the the story of bangladesh and the legacy of birangana women are parallels we we have to know them we have to know their history because and i don't know whether you found it or not in the film but i i was actually so excited about the fact that you know these village women the south asian village women most of them are illiterate but the kindness the 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 openness they showed in the film i think the world will look at them differently because you have you have a kind of perceived notion about something or these women are illiterate village women muslim women they must be very kind of you know closed up but when one of them says that i don't think uh i don't understand why um music is haram because when i feel sad 
when i feel and when when and when it rains i sing out loud it comes from my heart how can it be haram and when another woman says that when i walk in in, in the streets people people taunt me people say people say bad things and then i tell them you know i am the mother species you are all my children and they don't say anything so the kind of um openness progressiveness we do not see in educated people i got to see them in them it it was it it, it was uh it was beautiful you know it was absolutely beautiful and when they say that they were in a rape camp and they and 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 they were talking about the experience and one of them said that you know people were being killed my only thought was that how can i save my fellow human being i do not care whether he or she is hindu or muslim or shautal shautal is a uh, indigenous indigenous tribe in bangladesh can you imagine that if you look around in this world we are busy othering people and we are busy you know persecuting people because we don't feel feel we are the same so we feel scared but but them in that situation they're thinking of saving people and they didn't care whether that person is is you know is from different faiths or not so th- that is also an amazing thing i i i experienced um you know staying with them and 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 talking to them i think that's something we can all take i think yeah thank you so much lisa for taking the time and open up like you have my my heart actually feels a bit heavy <laughs> but in a good way if that makes sense from our I conversation hope so. i hope so um and it's been really moving and really profound and really sad and really powerful and so many kind of words that aren't quite coming to my mind now to talk to you thank you so much thank for, you thank for you for talking to me thank you can i say something yes, at the course. end yes of course if we want to bring change i would like you out there listen to survivor stories because if we ignore or dismiss uh sexual violence that had been perpetrated in the past then the same pattern of sexual violence used in you know wars and armed conflicts today will never stop but in order to do that the first step is to listen to survivor stories and believe them first step is believe them thank you lisa thank you If you've been affected by anything we've talked about in this episode, please head to the show notes 
where I've listed some information about organizations which can offer help and support. I'm Sangeeta Pillai. Thank you for listening to the Masala Podcast, a Spotify original. Masala Podcast is part of my platform, Soul Sutras. What's that all about? Soul Sutras is a network for South Asian women, a safe space to tell our stories, a place to reclaim our bodies, to tackle taboos within our culture, to be exactly who we want to be. Get in touch and tell me your stories about your taboos. Check out my website, soulsutras.co.uk or get in touch via email at soulsutras.co.uk. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Just look for Soul Sutras. Masala Podcast was created by me, Sangeeta Pillai, produced by Hannah Walker-Brown, opening music by Sunny Robertson. <laughs>